0: Welcome to the RV Travel Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Glad you could join me. If you're on the RVTravel.com website, don't hesitate to poke around and read while you're listening. If you're listening while you're driving, I hope you're going to a great destination. Or if you're just sitting at home relaxing, pour another cup of coffee and enjoy. Something here for everybody this week. Some expert advice. Not from me. (laughs) I'll be asking all the dumb questions to pros on everything from how to open an awning the right way and extending your battery life to organizing an RV for fun and profit. Mark Polk of RV Education 101 will be joining us as well, talking about the care and feeding of your RV. We'll also share some opinions on some recent alarming laws in Texas, and then your comments on which type of RV you would buy next. It's all coming up on the RV Travel Podcast. So glad you could join me right here. We're kind of getting outfitted. I don't know what to call it besides provisioning the rig for the summer. And then after that, we'll be provisioning it for the fall. But we'll talk about that as we get closer. Summertime is the time for all of us to get ready. Uh, we're doing everything from a few minor repairs to Uh, A few major repairs. Uh, Thank you, everybody over there in Dallas, Oregon, for your help on all that. And um, just, you know, kind of adding more stuff that we won't have to shuttle back and forth from the house to the travel trailer and back again here and there. I would love your advice on those sort of things. So what are the things that you leave in the RV all year or at least all season? Yeah, talk to me, 541-382-1726, go to rvtravel.com, go to the podcasts page, listen to all the podcasts you'd like, they're all right there, you can listen to them at your leisure, and in little bits and pieces if that's the way you do it, and you can leave me a note there. I return every email, and I'm looking forward to hearing from you. In the meanwhile, something a little bit alarming in Texas, a law is afoot in the legislature that would outlaw overnight RV parking in any public space. Well, that would include, of course, the street outside your home, a Walmart parking lot, perhaps, and of course, any other, you know, public area parks parking lots of other sorts, that sort of thing. Seem to, getting, uh, seem to be getting a lot of feedback on the RV Advice Facebook page. Tom Hughes says, okay, go ahead, and then we'll boycott Texas. There's lots of other states. Ron Hatinger agrees. He says other states have barbecue that is just as good. But do they have Tex-Mex, Ron? I'm more concerned about that parking in front of your home. If the street is public, then you're, you know, if you're parking your rig on the street, maybe it's just to, you know, to visit your relatives or vice versa. That could be problematic. Tom Morgan's an attorney in Georgia. He says if it's a business parking lot, uh, they get to decide whether the local constabulary can actually enforce a law like that. We'll see. Wayne Massengill says, "Hold on, everybody. This is all about homeless types who camp out long term." Yeah, but um, the best intentions are often misread when it comes to the bureaucrats who actually write the regulations, not the law. Yeah, the law is written by our elected representatives, and they hand it over to a bunch of agencies who, who then put the real rules together. Jerry Nielsen says, in California, if you're homeless, you can sleep wherever you want. Yeah, ironic, isn't it? Mike Barnett says, if he couldn't afford to pay for a campsite, he would stay home. A $200,000 motorhome parking at Wally World means you are a cheapskate. Hmm. Well, I, I don't have to worry about the first part of that, but I do have to worry about the second part. Come on, Mike, let's be a little bit more positive out there and sue denson says who authored that bill i bet rv park owners are behind it i just don't know although she has dug in a little bit deeper it was authored by representative buckingham the district is around lake travis lake travis destination for rvs maybe an rv park kind of a place Anyway, you can get in on the discussion on that and other things as well. Lots of great tips over there. We're going to be talking about a few more of those down the road on the RV Travel Podcast. I'm Scott Linden. Glad you could join me. So uh, stick around for all of that, as well as all those other things from how to open an awning the right way to what kind of RV you would buy next. It's all coming up right after this. Go to softstartrv.com slash RV travel and learn more about the new gizmo that I'm still figuring out how to connect to my rig so that I can use my air conditioner even with a weak-willed, wimpy generator. That's the basic idea. Maybe a hair dryer, maybe a microwave. We're going to experiment with all of those once we get the soft start connected. If you're interested in learning more, of course, softstartrv.com slash rvtravel. Free shipping for a limited time, so check it out and sign up so that you're eligible for that. There's all sorts of other incentives. You do a referral. You're going to get some uh, extended warranty, all sorts of things over there at softstartrv.com slash rvtravel. Specially designed, engineered, and tested for every type of RV, including tiny homes. So check it all out at softstartrv.com slash rv travel and time to welcome a new sponsor here at the rv travel podcast clear 20com thank you keith bernard and the team over there at clear2o for eliminating one of the weekly hassles around here every time we provision the rv for our trips my lovely spouse hauls it well she makes me haul in a case or two of bottled water that's because she doesn't trust the water filter we have she doesn't trust the water at the rv park or the campground and so we're drinking out of bottles for every every drinking situation even the dogs get bottled water until now clear2o.com, go there and learn more about their green inline RV and marine water filters. Now the big difference, you can't see it from the outside. You can see it from the inside. It's got a solid carbon core. Way different than those granules in the blue filters. You can find out more about why they have so many five-star reviews. And don't forget there's free shipping on orders over $100 in the U.S. Learn all about why we don't have to load bottled water into the rig anymore at clear2o.com. That's clear, the number two, letter o.com. Yeah, so I promised you a whole bunch of experts who know way more than me and probably way more than you. In fact, this guy's website is rveducation101.com, although he's probably qualified to teach the uh, PhD level classes in that topic as well. Mark Polk, welcome to the RV Travel Podcast.
1: Thank you, Scott. I, I look forward to it, and I thank you for inviting me on the podcast.
0: Well, I got to tell you, I'm a little selfish about this stuff, and luckily, uh, I hope a lot of other people are facing the same challenges I am. Um, it's it it's you know we can always learn something. You know, I was taught that by a cello virtuoso 40 years ago and it's still true for him and it's still true for me and it's probably still true for you but before we get into the you know to the how-tos and the why-tos we've seen your byline recently in rvtravel.com uh, you tell us a little bit about where this all got started
1: okay um, I I was on active duty in the military and when I retired I I got back into I, I worked on RVs as a kid uh, washing RVs and then I worked out in the service department with a, a really good mentor uh, so I had a passion with, about RVs I really enjoyed the the lifestyle I've owned every type of RV ever made but uh, when I when I retired from the military I got a job selling RVs at a dealership in North Carolina. And it very quickly with my background and from the military, I was promoted to the sales and I manager. So I had a sales staff under me and something that I continually realized was every time we sold an RV, we would give the new owners what you might call walkthrough or class on how everything on the RV operates and that, that might be an hour to two hours. Um, so then the, they they head home with their new RV, and I would get phone calls from these people constantly saying, "Hey, Mark, I can't remember you know how what you said about this, or how we use this, or how do you do this." And I thought, man, there has to be something out there that we can provide these people with that they can go back to as reference when they don't remember something. So I searched and searched the, the internet and that's kind of when the internet was still fairly young. And I realized that there really was nothing out there. And I just got the idea one day, what if, what if we produced a video that was similar to a walk through a walkthrough class, but more thorough. So I hired a, we hired a film crew, Don and I, and, um, we went out and we produced the first video ever, and it was on a travel trailer. And when I when I got the, it was actually on a VHS tape when I got the finished product in my hand, and I went to the owner of the dealership that I worked for, and I said, I want you to, to watch this and tell me what you think. And, and she watched it, and she said, she thought I did it for the dealership, and I said, I said, well, I I have a bigger plan with it. I said, "Um, I think there's a need for this. It's a niche market, but I I think there's a real need for this type of training. Uh, I've always felt there was a lack of consumer training in the RV industry, and, and we have tried to fill that niche for the past two decades.
0: Well, I appreciate that, and I thank you because it's a pet peeve of mine as well. I don't care how long that walkthrough is. There's always something they forget. There's always something we forget as the customer, and down the road, I don't know anymore, does anybody actually even publish an owner's manual for for RVs? I know it's a rhetorical question, but I appreciate your work in that world, and I, I bet it leads to all sorts of other things as well, but first off, you're still doing the RV thing on a tra- as a consumer, a civilian, if you will. You still do some RV traveling, don't you?
1: Yes, we do. Um, like I mentioned a moment ago, my my um, getting started in the R- with the, with RVs began with a pop up, an old uh, Coleman pop up uh, folding fold down camper, and I got hooked on it with that. So that evolved into two travel trailers, two used travel trailers. Um, we've had two fifth wheels. We still have one that's, that's a destination camper down at a lot we own by the beach. And then we had a Class C motorhome, and that finally evolved into a 36-foot Class A, which we travel in today with our, with our dogs.
0: You're listening to the up, no, you aren't. You're listening to the RV travel <laughs> <laughs> podcast. I'm Scott Linden. That is Mark Polk. RV education 101.com is where you learn all about what he does and why he does it and how it will help you. And believe me, it will from online training on out from there. Um, Mark, if, if you had to boil it down to one thing you love most about RV travel, what would it be?
1: Oh boy! One thing we we love the fact that we can travel with our pets. Um, we don't like to to board our pets, um, and we enjoy the camaraderie at the, the um, you know at the campground. I mean, it's just a it's a wonderful lifestyle, and I would encourage anybody who hasn't tried it to. Um, maybe give it a go even if they just want to rent an rv for a a weekend or a week and and then see how they like it but that all comes back to education because i've always said that if if just say somebody rents an rv if they don't know how to use it it's going to be a bad experience and and it's going to be very likely that they don't pursue that lifestyle so uh again that's that's we think that if, if people learn how to p- use it properly and safely, that they're going to stay in the lifestyle.
0: As if we need more people competing for campground space, but I understand your philosophy completely, exactly. and I believe in it. It's absolutely true. Especially if you think about it on a personal basis, you, the last thing you want is a neighbor who's pissed off at the RV or the RV industry. That's not, not going to be fun for anybody. Uh, Mark Polk of all the questions you get as an expert in taking care of our our rigs what is the most common topic um
1: uh, what what has happened with us is we when we started this out and, and it's evident by the name of RV education 101 i i wanted to target first-time buyers, and teach them the very basics, like the systems you find on an RV. Um, what happened from that point on, and it was people who watched our early training videos that came back and said to us, we'd really like to learn more now. We'd like to learn like um, what it takes to maintain the RV and and really take care of it. So we evolved into, you might say, the next level of of, of college education and started teaching uh, how to winterize your RV or how to store your RV, uh, all these different topics. But what what I think it comes down to most is after people learn how to, to do the basics and learn how to use their RV, they have a certain responsibility to understand how to maintain it. So I I think we get more questions about maintaining your batteries, um you know questions about tires, questions about towing and and driving a motorhome. Uh I'd say two of our best selling titles today are how to tow your trailer like a pro and how to drive your motorhome like a pro. So, uh, it's kind of evolved over the years. I mean, we still target the first time buyer, but, but I think the majority of our audience now, uh, are people that are hungry for more knowledge about maintaining the RV.
0: Well, and most of our listeners have had more than one and are probably, you know, slightly versed in in the basics but you just hit on a topic that a uh, man i i i would sure love to know more about how to do it but let's start with the motorhome side of things if i own a motorhome how do i learn to drive what do i learn to drive it like a pro
1: that one of my biggest concerns in this industry was um when i was selling rvs was selling an rv to a motorhome to a an older gentleman and his wife or who, whoever it might might be and sending them out of the dealership with little to no uh, driving experience when all they've ever driven their whole life is a small automobile. So that was a big concern of mine. And, and of course, I think the RV industry, you know, fought off legislation to where they didn't want it to be where you had to go through this uh, formal driving education training to be able to even buy one so there there's a there's a big need right there a niche for um, filling that and I used to watch where there were somebody would say well there's driving school in Florida but this guy up in Massachusetts that doesn't really know how to drive it has to drive it from Massachusetts <laughs> to Florida <laughs> That that, so is, that, is,
0: that is the next
1: uh,
0: that is the next national Lampoon movie right there <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah you're right you're right so so our solution to the problem was learn how to drive your motor home sitting in the comfort of your your living room at home watching the tele the, the television. We, I, I actually, I have driven everything imaginable. When I was in the military, I drove tanks and uh, re- track recovery vehicles and five-ton trucks, Deuce and a halfs, wreckers, every everything imaginable. But I didn't feel like I was what I would consider a professional, a professionally trained driver. So, so what we did was we we located a professional tour bus driver who, who came from Washington State to North Carolina, him and his wife, and we developed a driving course that I think is probably worth, uh, price-wise, it's probably worth three to $500 because of the information you're getting, but we sell it for $44 in our, in our uh, course, online course, but he, he – I discovered things that I never really knew, and, and he taught things like really smart things that can bring awareness to what is involved in driving a large vehicle like that, like your pivot point. What's your pivot point? Where is it at, and what does it mean? How is it going to help you be a better driver? Uh, tail swing. When you make a, a hard left or right-hand turn, how, how wide is the back of that motorhome swinging out as you make that turn? And if you're too close to an obstacle, like a gas pump, you're going to hit it. So we taught these techniques, and then we actually got in the, the, the motorhome and drove downtown, um, talking about making right-hand turns when you're in a, you know, a tight lane, and... It covers so much information that really will teach you how to drive like a pro, but the day still comes when you have to go out and and actually do it. So we recommended that, you know, you do it, find a large parking lot somewhere, get permission, take some, some cones with you, traffic cones, and then follow some of the things that you learned in the course and just practice and become a, a safe driver.
0: You know, we talked about backing a trailer a, a couple weeks ago on the RV Travel Podcast, and uh, you, those are all great bits of advice for a motorhome driver, but let's say we're in a regular pull-behind trailer. What What is the one tip that you would insist people work on a little bit more that – maybe gets short shrift in the walk around or anywhere else after they buy their trailer?
1: Uh, My, my biggest concern with travel trailers and fifth wheel trailers are uh, people understanding, learning and understanding the proper hitch components. And uh, they have to understand that before they should even think about actually towing it or backing it or doing anything else. Um, so when we sold a travel trailer to a customer and I was working at that dealership, we gave them a walkthrough. And then the last thing we did was we, like in 10 minutes, we, we show them, demonstrate how to, how to put their hitch on and how to do it correctly they're not going to remember that. They are not going to remember the next time, the first time they they leave their home on a trip, they're, they're going to be confused. So uh, when we developed our tow-your-trailer-like-a-pro and tow-your-fifth-wheel-like-a-pro, we spent a good deal of time teaching the different hitch components that are involved, and then making sure they knew how to properly install those components so number 1 it's safe to tow and then actually the same principles I just talked about with a motor home apply to a travel trailer uh, the pivot point is between the two tandem tires on the trailer that's your pivot point of course you got a, you've got some concern about tail swing so you know, we, we bring some of those techniques into that training as well. And then we just take them out on the road again and and, and teach them what it what they need to know about traveling down the road and, and speeds to travel at and uh, what they need to do to be safe. And then, of course, you hit on a really big topic a, a moment ago with the backing. Backing is some people have a knack for backing a trailer, and there's other people that may never um, be proficient at it. So we try to teach two different techniques for backing. I call it assisted and then unassisted. If you have nobody with you or nobody around that can help you, how you can try to do it yourself. Uh, and, again, they can watch it in the comfort of their living room, and then they can, uh, if they have problem with a certain area, they can go back. Anytime they want and refresh refresh themselves on that topic.
0: I love it. Uh you're listening to the RV Travel Podcast. I'm Scott Linden, the host. That's Mark Polk with RV education one oh one dot com where you can get a lot of this stuff uh, online in uh, what I'll loosely term video seminar form. Um, we're, we're up against the wall here, but I do have one question because you touched on it and because I have learned it the hard way. Mark Polk, if you um, were going to give me one bit of advice about uh, uh, the, the marriage between the trailer tongue and the trailer hitch. What is the biggest uh, caution or advice that you would have for us?
1: The biggest concern you have is, is uh, you want the proper amount of tongue weight. Um, if, you just, if you've ever seen somebody drop the trailer on the, the hitch ball and, and you stand back and look at it, and the lowest point in that line is where the hitch is on the ball, that's a problem. You've got too much weight on the rear axle of the tow vehicle, um, and you have to correct that. So that's where a weight distribution hitch would come in. You want, ideally, you want 10 to 12 percent tongue weight on the ball, and what that does is it 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 sends it distributes weight to the both the axles on the tow vehicle and it distributes weight to both the axles on the trailer. And not only does it put you in a straight line, but with that proper weight distribution, it's it's 100% safer to drive down the road. And that, now, that's not getting into sway, control, and all that, but just... Getting the proper amount of tongue weight is step number one.
0: Hey, I got a dumb question for you. So I've I've already broken my rule, and I'm and then I'm going to conclude. So we're going to go somewhere next weekend, and and for one night, we're just going to be in one place for one night. We can leave that whole rig connected the way it is as long as everything's level, can't we?
1: Absolutely. Tell, uh, tell the campground office that you want to uh, pull through site. And just pull into where you can make your whatever connections you need to make your water, store electric, whatever you need for that one night and just leave it hooked up to the tow vehicle and get up in the morning and go.
0: I love it. That's great. Mark Polk, RV education, one Oh one. Dot com is where you learn more about him and what she, he is doing to help you learn more about your own rig. Mark, Mark, this is the first of a series we'll be doing together. I can almost guarantee it. We've got a whole bunch more questions for you, but for now, thanks so much for being a part of the RV travel podcast.
1: You're welcome. Thank you again.
0: We're just getting warmed up around here. Let me remind you that this is the RV travel podcast with our partners, rvtravel.com. If you are not a subscriber yet. Please consider doing that. So much of the material is done for your benefit and at cost to a whole bunch of folks who organize this whole thing. So if you are interested in getting unvarnished truth about the RV industry, great expert advice on any number of topics, 10,000 or more articles on something of interest for everybody, then subscribe at rvtravel.com. Readers who make just a one-time financial contribution automatically receive a permanent subscription to the member edition. It's ready before anybody else gets their copies, except for all your fellow members. rvtravel.com. Thanks a whole bunch from everybody. Yeah, so I'm the world's worst organizer and it's uh, you know I talked about it earlier but uh, we're trying our best uh, but I thought if I'm going to get some help on this I should go to the experts and so poking around on YouTube I found Brian and Aaron at 5 to go. By the way that's also their uh, website address 5 number 2 geo.com, five to go.com 52go.com Brian and Aaron have uh, have focused on this in at least one or two videos, and I thought it would be of interest to all of us to learn more about it. So, Brian, calling, <laughs> we're we're talking to you from your RV. Where about? Where? <laughs> uh,
2: we are in Central Florida, just outside of Disney World.
0: Oh my God! Uh, and what what kind of a zoo is that today? <laughs>
2: Uh, well, it's spring break season is over, so most of the tourists have gone, so it's not too bad right now.
0: And did you choose that on purpose, or did you break down right there? <laughs> <laughs> no,
2: we love Disney. We we absolutely love it, because we have three young kids.
0: Yeah, so, yeah. So Disney is a big
2: part of our life. We love it here.
0: Okay, so if you haven't done it yet, folks, the, even this music major can say, Brian and Aaron, three kids, ah, five to go. I get it there now. There you go. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> Yeah, and I don't blame you. And I have a soft spot in my heart for Disney as well because I was born on the day, the year, and the hour that Disneyland actually opened their gates for the first time. No kidding. Never gotten me a free admission. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not talking to the right people, I guess. Yeah, I can't do that for you. See, I'm that that's how disorganized I am, and that's why we're talking. I'm glad I called you already, Brian. Thank you. Oh. So, you know, I imagine with five people three of them underage uh yeah you know if for no other reason than to maintain your sanity and avoid felony convictions you stay as organized as possible what does that mean to you and Aaron or does what does it mean to all five of you uh well it
2: really only means anything to the two of us (laughs) (laughs) three three young kids they could care less about being organized Mm -hmm. so Uh, But for us, it really, like you said, it is a matter of maintaining sanity. Um, And I'm sitting here looking around my rig right now, and the area that the 12-year-old lives in is not very organized, but the rest of it is. Um, And it's really, you know, because we went from, like most people, we went from a house with the fence and a yard in a neighborhood with attics and garage and, and closets and all that. We downsized. A lot. Like, we don't even have a storage unit anywhere. Uh, So, everything we own is in this RV. Uh, So, it's uh, very important to keep it organized and keep things uh, in logical places and to make sure that we don't bring too much in if we're not willing to take stuff out as well. To well, make room for
0: it. I get it. And most of us are not full-timers, and most of us don't have three kids traveling with us. But <laughs> all of those, let I mean, you talk about baptism by fire. You, we're talking to the right people. What of those things have you learned that would be most relevant to, a, a, you know, a couple going for a, two weeks somewhere? Oh, man. I do not envy weekend and
2: week-long RVers. <laughs>
0: because I see, I see so many people because
2: when we want to go somewhere we it's we just go like we take our house and that's where we go. So when we camp with uh with part-timers, uh we'll call them, um we we see all of the loading up and all of the unloading process and we yeah. do not envy that at all. It looks like such a pain. <laughs> well, but um I I think the uh the biggest tip i've gotten from our part-time friends is to leave as much in the rig as you can um you know like have a full set of kitchen stuff um pared down you know you don't want a whole everything you possibly need in a kitchen but as much as the stuff you could leave in the rig as possible between trips the better it's going to help a lot
0: do you leave grocery well of course you do because you're always in it but if if, if you were me as this is the debate we have at our house all the time uh-huh. um why can't i just leave a whole bunch of groceries in there too is there an argument against that well do you store your rig with power okay so uh we got to separate refrigerated versus potato chips um okay yeah so we we could leave the fridge running you're right yeah
2: yeah Well, it also like if you can leave the AC to at least a decent temperature, like I wouldn't want to leave anything not in a can in an uncontrolled environment because it's going to get hot in these things when they're sitting in a storage lot or out Mm -hmm. in your side yard or wherever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I don't know if I would leave stuff in a bag. Um, Obviously, nothing in a fridge that's unplugged. Sure. Um, But I think canned goods would be fine. Um, cleaning supplies would probably be fine. Uh, things like oil, um, spices would probably be okay. As long as it's not too humid in there, uh, stuff like that, I think would be all right.
0: What, what about the other, uh, what I'll call, uh, well, what, what the industry calls uh, soft goods, um, what, what, how do you, how do you arrange all this stuff? Uh, give me your 12 year old space for an example. How are you, how are you maintaining your, you know, your sanity uh, by helping that twelve-year-old stay organized.
2: Uh, that's a constant fight.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> so, by soft goods, do we mean clothing? Yeah, and, yeah. You know, books and and toys and all that stuff. Exactly. Um, so, clothing-wise, we actually we opted for an RV that does not have bunks, even though we have three children. Mm-hmm. Um, because so many. Uh, RVs, especially motorhomes, which we're in right now, we're in a Class A, um, and we had a travel trailer previously when they were smaller, um, but so many of the models that have bunks sacrifice storage for those bunks. So as we were looking at RVs, um, we decided to get one without bunks because it comes with much more storage, so we actually have all of the kids' clothing in the area where the bunks would probably be in this model uh, if it had bunks. And in in to answer your question directly about trying to keep the 12-year-old, her name's Tara, um, organized, uh, that's like it was when we were in a house. It's kind of... <laughs> we yeah. gave her space to have stuff, um, probably too much, honestly, sitting here looking at it. And um, we just kind of Get on her about it and have her clean, and uh, that's that's a constant struggle. But one thing, actually, what is nice is uh, we moved from one campground to another two days ago, so we had a moving day, and you have to clean on moving day because you don't want things falling on your head. You don't want things getting caught in a slide. You don't want things falling off a counter and breaking. You know, there's, there's the having moving days, you know, every week or two or – Um, our first lap around the country, we averaged a move every two and a half days. Uh, so when you move frequently, it forces you to keep things cleaned and organized out of necessity. So that, yeah, that actually is good.
0: Okay. So, so give us some of the things that you do on moving day that maybe we don't do enough of,
2: (laughs) uh, get rid of stuff, get rid Um, of it. Yeah. Like horizontal surfaces Mm -hmm. are the bane of your existence, if you want to not have things collect. Um, you know, if you if you're sitting in a house right now, and you look around and you see a bookshelf, I guarantee you it's not just books on that bookshelf because you have five or six horizontal surfaces in one small space, and it's just stuff. And you know, everyone has in the kitchen. You know, everyone comes in from the from the day, and there's that one shelf or that one part of your kitchen counter that collects the stuff that comes out of everyone's pockets or that just gets dropped, you know, horizontal surfaces are, they're so bad. (laughs) (laughs) They just, they just pile up. So it's, it's a, if you can keep your horizontal surfaces under control, you're doing really good.
0: And, And of course the ultimate horizontal surface is a bunk bed. (laughs)
2: yeah yeah. i mean i can i can see our bed because we have the the queen back in our room and uh, that's where the kids bedding stuff ends up at night um so we kind of we try to keep all that stuff together but i have seen some rigs with bunk beds where you know it kind of serves double duty as or maybe even triple duty as a place to sleep a place to store things and a place for the kids to play and uh I, i imagine some of those can get pretty rough pretty quick
0: yeah, and, and I get it. And we've had a couple bunkhouse models ourselves and we and we we've never had kids, but we found all sorts of other uses for them, but I think you're absolutely right. But it begs the question, and whether it's hunting buddies or three children under the age of twelve or whatever, where do you sleep everybody then?
2: Uh, so my wife and I, we sleep in the, the master bedroom, uh, which has a an R V queen, um, which is a little shorter than a normal queen. Um, and then this motorhome does have the, the bed, the loft bed over the driver and passenger seat up front here where I'm sitting right now. Uh, so our 12-year-old sleeps there by herself. Um, and then the littles, we'll call them, uh, Brooke and Ben, they are five and six. Uh, they sleep on the dinette converted to a bed and the couch. Sure. So they all they all kind of have their own spaces.
0: Okay, and and so in the morning though, the first thing everybody has to do is is basically stow everything. You mean the first thing I have to do? Yeah. <laughs> 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 let's not let's not kid around here. <laughs> oh, no, no, just, uh, I get I get it. Uh, all right. So so pra- yeah. No, so when everybody gets up,
2: I move the bedding and the beds or the pillows and you know the stuffed animals and stuff in onto our bed. Uh, and then I raise the 12-year-old's bed up to the ceiling because um, technically I'm sitting in my office right now, which is the driver's seat just sure. swung around on a table mm-hmm. or with a table. And then, you know, we get the couch cleared off and we get the dinette cleared off and put back into dinette mode with the table up. Um, so, yeah, that's that's every day. And it seems a little overwhelming. Um, but, again, if you stay on top of things and you keep things cleared off, it's really not that uh, not that bad to switch stuff
0: around no and i can imagine it you know in a in a in a rig that long you can get some pretty good momentum going when you're trying to slam that master bedroom (laughs) shut with all that stuff on the other side of the door yeah uh let's get practical if you if you had a if you had a uh you know a a budget and you needed to go out and buy some stuff that would help you organize better Mm mm-hmm uh, whether it's uh, Walmart, Harbor Freight, or somewhere in between, IKEA. Uh, okay, good. <laughs> okay, there we go. What are those? What are those things that we can get the most use out of? Um, I
2: am a big fan of bins and uh, like subdividing drawers and cabinets. Um, there's a, a set of bins um, that show up on our videos pretty frequently. Um, that we use in our pantry and in several other areas around the kitchen. And it's just – it's a nice way to, one, keep things from rattling around in drawers. You know, when you're going down the road, it'll keep things from being loud or keep things from breaking, you know, if you can keep things a little more contained. Um, But we also have found really skinny bins that fit into uh, the two – Well, not two. We have one medicine cabinet in the rear bathroom, and then the middle bathroom has shallow cabinets. And uh, so we have little skinny bins in there just to help keep things a little more organized. Um, So if you don't do anything other than just separate things a little bit, it's like, I guess a good analogy would be your silverware drawer. Do you have a big empty drawer that is just full of knives and forks and spoons? You really want my
0: answer on that?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Or, okay, maybe most people uh, would have like a tray in there that has the knives and the spoons and the forks kind of in their own little cubbies, right?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: So it's kind of that on a macro level. And I do...
0: I do that yeah. in the back of my pickup, of course. I got a truck vault so I can do all, and I've learned that exactly. You know, yeah. just little walls in between things uh-huh. really, uh, really help. Um, it's a huge difference. Okay, help me with this one. My wife was so kind that she bought some, you know, uh, what do they call it? Uh, some assembly required sh- shelf slash racks uh-huh. for our kitchen okay. cupboards, you know. So all the cans are in in nice neat rows, and they slide down, you know, and they roll out just like the beer uh, cooler at the Seven Eleven store. Okay, they don't work worth beans. In fact, by the time <laughs> I get some, the places I go go, they fall apart before we get there. So, uh-huh. so how do you? How do you and Aaron? at five to go.com. How do you, how do you maintain uh, some semblance of order in the kitchen cabinets?
2: Um, It's really just identifying where things live and uh, making sure that that's where they go when you're done using them or when you replenish them.
0: Well, they're, so but they're so, the, so tall, you know, I got, I got yeah. a foot and a half of space in a cabinet that's holding a six inch tall can. Yeah. How, how do so I make we'll multi play. multiple level storage out of that?
2: Yeah, we actually have the same thing, and that is truly a struggle. Like, having too much vertical space in a cabinet is a real pain, because your initial instinct is, let's make more shelves in there. Yeah. But then you, you you get stuck with a space that won't fit, like, a bottle of syrup or a bottle of oil that's too tall for that shelf, and then you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot by by making it too rigid of a system. Yeah. So what we've kind of ended up doing, um, and then I'm I'm the cook and the the cleaner in the kitchen, so it's kind of my domain, uh, the pantry and the pantry organization. So kind of what I've fallen into is um, stuff on the lower shelf that the kids can actually reach. That's where we keep more of like the snacks and the lighter stuff and the cereal and uh, anything anything that would not get crushed goes in first so cans and boxes and whatever goes in first and then anything lighter that's in a bag that is going to get smaller over time like chips or cereal and bags uh, and items like that they go they just lay on top of the harder stuff yep, like yep. on the same shelf because you you don't want to crush them you don't want to shove them into a, a smaller space. And like I said, they're going to get smaller over time as the stuff is eaten. So it will eventually become an empty space again. Uh, so that's the first shelf. And then the second shelf has more of the stuff I use for cooking, like um, ingredients go on that shelf. Canned goods go on that shelf. Uh, my I have a, a bin that I can pull out that has all my spices and oils and stuff in it. Um, that's kind of a, it's a it is a more subdivided area, yeah. And soft stuff doesn't really go in there, other than like bread or tortillas and stuff like that. Great. So it's really just a matter of kind of it, It's really divide and conquer. It's figuring out what works for your space. And there's as much as big companies think they're going to make a lot of money off of it, like you know Bed Bath and Beyond with all those clever organizational systems. They don't work. It it really <laughs> You got to, you got to use your space the best you can without sticking yourself into something where, you know, can number three doesn't fit because what are you going to do then?
0: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Uh, You know, we got time for one more question from me that I bet you have learned again, the hard way and then refined into an art form by now. (laughs) Step out, not literally, you don't have to step out of your RV, but think about stepping out of your RV and looking at the exterior and coming up with the one single best organizational tip for the outside of your rig?
2: Are we talking like in a storage base? Uh,
0: or anywhere. Anywhere. Hmm.
2: That's curious. Um, I'm going to go with reusable zip ties. Uh, <sighs> they are my absolute favorite thing. Um, if you don't know what they are, it's basically a zip tie. But up where the, the piece slides in and ratchets tight, there's a little lever and you can squeeze the lever and it releases the teeth and you can pull it back apart. Um, I use those on literally everything from small wires to extension cords to hoses to power cables to bundling up uh, box end wrenches uh just everything everything you could use a zip tie for but you don't want to commit to you know <laughs> that permanent connection yeah, yeah. you know it's you don't have to cut it off you just squeeze the thing pull it back apart so reusable zip ties are just fantastic and i didn't know they existed until a few years ago a, a guy i was working with showed them to me and i thought they were the best thing ever and they are
0: well they're right up there with peanut butter and canned beer i'm sure and I, i'm gonna go out and buy <laughs> a bag of them tomorrow there you uh, go. brian and aaron are uh at five to go.com and their youtube channel has the same name it's five to go so spell out five number two geo.com
2: yeah, couldn't make it easy, could we? <laughs> no, no. <laughs>
0: but I, I love it, and I love your videos, uh, you. and and we'll be doing this again down the road. Thank you so much, Brian, for being a part of the Upland. No, I did it again, for being part of the RV Travel Podcast. Thank you. We have so much more to talk about. I hope you learned something there. We will be talking about what kind of rig you would buy next, or at least some of your colleagues at the RV Advice Facebook page would buy next. And coming up very soon, an expert who's going to tell us, at least I've been opening my awning all wrong, among other things. So stick around. First off, America's mailbox is where you can get some great tax advantages if you become a South Dakota resident. Say you're a full-timer or contemplating full-time travel in your RV, you need to have a residency, and that's one good place to do it. America's, By the way, my favorite state outside of the one I currently reside in, but AmericasMailbox.com is where you can get more information on how they can help you become a South Dakota resident and take advantage of all sorts of things. No state income tax, lower insurance rates, all sorts of other licensing and um, convenience factors, including, of course, sending your mail to wherever you want it sent while you're traveling the country. They have all sorts of payment plans and uh, shorter-term arrangements. So investigate them all at AmericasMailbox.com. And once you travel, maybe you have need for the car generator. Cargenerator.com is where you learn all about this clever product. Started with an inverter, kind of like the ones you can buy at your local hardware store. Then Jonathan Schlu has added custom booster-style cables made of oxygen-free pure copper. Okay, heavy duty. Got it. Then... He's added an adjusting strap, a rubberized backing. You can hang it on the front of the vehicle, plus a power meter so you know exactly how much power you can get from your vehicle to create shore power out of your rig's engine. Then he wraps it all in a custom engineered rainproof, ice, snow, weatherproof, and highly ventilated housing so that you get the car generator all weather version. Weighs just 16 pounds. Compare that to the generator you're probably lugging around. And it's just 795 bucks for shore power from your tow rig, your towed, your motor. If you're driving a motor home, it's all right there. And then a car at home, just in case you've got it all. Learn more at cargenerator.com. Yeah, the expert opinions, the knowledge, the wisdom that comes with it, just piling up here at the RV Travel Podcast, uh, joining me right now, one of my favorite YouTube personalities, I guess we'll call them that, uh, Josh the RV Nerd at Haylet RV. Josh, welcome to the RV Travel Podcast.
3: Well, Scott, thank you for having me. And I tell you, I, my, my, I've been called worse than an RV personality. My, my wife called me worse this morning, but hey, you know, I had it coming. Yeah, well,
0: being in TV, uh, you know, the, the smart asses in the TV world will, will will look at us in front of the camera guys and, and uh, make the air quotes when they call us talent. To, <laughs> fair, i'm think. the first to, de- to deny that title but but here we both are for what it's yes, worth sir. you know you're over at Hail It rv that's in Coldwater, michigan but you know you reach every dank dark corner of the world via your youtube channel so anybody who's looking to learn more about stuff like this Hail it rv on youtube or go to halet with two T's rv.com i'm sure there's a way to get from there to the youtube channel josh how did you get into this business
3: well um by accident basically uh before i worked here i was a a clerk at yellow freight line the trucks that say yellow but they're actually orange um
0: i always wondered about that by the way (laughs) i can give
3: you the history of it maybe we won't subject the viewers to it here since we have limited time but um Uh, my, uh, I, am a son of the boss through marriage. I'm called an SOB with a PhD, son of the boss whose parent had a dealership and I was doing my own thing, but he needed a new website and that's actually my education. Um, I've got a BS and CS computer science and, uh, I said, you know, I'm, I'm really not enjoying logistics. It was 2009, which was a very, very hard time for a lot of things, especially logistics And I came on as a temporary employee to build us a new website, and I had no certain future with the company. And I just kept getting my nose in things. I just kept trying to help out, and they just kept keeping me around. And 12 years later, here I am talking to you
0: well let 's not say anything that might jeopardize that uh, cushy position that you 've uh, created for yourself, uh, <laughs> but thank you in advance for all the things you 've done for folks over the years to kind of kind of just debunk some of the myths and uh, and teach us some of the things we wish we 'd thought of ourselves, but here we are and Josh the r v nerd did them for us Uh, let's let's jump right in i'm I'm intrigued because i've been doing it this way uh, with every power rv that i've every power awning on an rv i've ever owned and when when i learned how to do it the right way from you i i just slapped my forehead and and thought of course why didn't i think of that so so take us through the uh, take us to school on opening a power awning the right way
3: well there's I guess you could say there's no necessarily wrong way to do it. That that seems like really aggressive. But the uh, thing I learned from one of my techs about three or four years ago, so I'd been doing this for a long time and I never even considered it. Uh, he was watching me put an awning out and, you know, he's a certified technician. He goes, Hey, hold on. Um, you need to just give it a little break there. And uh, I, I said, what do you mean? Well, as I was putting the awning out, Uh, You know, the the roller's rolling out real quick, and the arms are kind of struggling to keep up. And he said, you know, it's like, yeah, you ever have, uh, like, a gas strut on a screen door so the wind doesn't slam it around at your house? If you pull it, you kind of stress that thing. You kind of wear it out. If you let it out a little way, give it just a chance to kind of breathe and relax, for lack of a better explanation, and then finish running it out, that will tend to last longer. And what you'll notice is not the motor on the awnings going to fail or anything like that, but if you've ever seen um, power awnings after a couple years, you know how they have that um, with the gas struts, that kind of auto sag feature, the auto rain dump feature? Yeah, yeah that those struts will start to get weaker and weaker. Um, the, the more that you stress them and it's a little at a time and it can vary by climate. It can vary by use. It could vary simply by the angle of attack and the awning arms from the manufacturer. There's no real like Bible I can give you on that. But if uh, those arms get weak, like you'll start to see one or both sag on their own and it kind of becomes like a bit of a head knocker. You lose a little bit of your, your clearance and whatnot. You lose a little control for your rain dump feature and it's one of those little things. It costs you nothing but just half a second, and it might save you. The It's not like struts are expensive, but nobody wants to stop and camping or bring their rv to a shop to have struts replaced or if you have the know-how most people don't want to take the time to do it you just want to go camping man so little things like that man they all add up it's like drops in a bucket
0: they they do and and on top of all of that the last thing i want to do is bump my head i i've had enough of those concussions over the years so um that is golden that kind of stuff that we never get anywhere else and and That's the kind of thing you probably run into all the time at Halet. By the way, here's another address for you, haletautoandrv.com. So learn how to get to the YouTube page, learn more about what's going on over there. Josh Winters, uh, the RV nerd. I worry about this a lot. Uh, I don't want to be stranded anywhere. I've got, you know, I wear a belt and I wear suspenders both, but I don't want to be stranded in the middle of nowhere with no RV battery life. Hmm. And, and, and we all understand some of that, but there are other things that we don't understand. Can you help us extend the life of those things?
3: Yes. Most of us have a common a, uh, or uh, lead-acid battery. Yeah. Um, that's just a normal 12-volt battery. Um, it's something that we include at no charge with every new RV that we sell from Halet RV just so that folks, like, people don't realize, actually, trailers from the manufacturers typically don't have any batteries with very few exceptions. Yeah. Um, so I-, I see all the time people come in or I'll see on forums, RV batteries are junk. They only last two or three years. That's not true. That battery is designed to last eight to ten if it's used and taken care of properly. I think the trick is... Uh, the average person doesn't know enough about batteries. I didn't know enough about batteries till I worked in this business. And not enough facilities will take the time to explain and educate people on batteries. And, there, and really, there's a couple simple things. A common lead-acid battery, it gets stressed when it just sits basically at full charge, but especially when it starts to go below 50%. If you use that battery below the 50% mark, when it recharges back, it won't recharge back a 100% of the way. You might lose a little bit here and there, and if you completely drain the battery to zero, it struggles to come back uh, sometimes. So biggest thing here is if you're not going to be using the RV for an extended period, disconnect it, even if that mm-hmm. means just opening the box and taking the wires off because sure. there's always something drawing off that battery inside the camper. And new campers have so much flipping technology that, uh, you know, they got all these cool touchscreen pads and stuff, but even a simple camper, a basic entry-level camper, has 12-volt um, circuit panels that are in standby. They don't turn off. Like, even your stereo is mm-hmm. slowly sucking mm-hmm. juice off that thing. And after a couple of weeks of just being in storage, your battery's dead, dead, down to zero, and that's real bad. Um, you know, when you have the battery on the tongue and you plug it into shore power, you don't think about it because the converter's picking up the slack and recharging the battery and you've got power from the park. But if you're going to go boondocking, you're going to go traveling, or if you're trying to get hitched up and you want that power tongue jack to work, you want to make sure that battery is going to be there. So adding a disconnect is a good way. Simply removing the battery if it's going to be in storage is a good way. But a major thing for me, especially being from the Midwest, is when you put the camper away for the season and you give it the old pink drink of death, you know, at the end of the season, <laughs> you've got to uh, pull the battery off of that thing, bring it inside uh, a place like a garage, put it on top of a woodblock, don't put it directly on the concrete, and then get a little battery tender. You can get these things for like 20 bucks at your local hardware store, plug it in, fire and forget kind of thing. <laughs> like the old Ron Popeil, set it and forget it.
0: Okay, and, so a trickle charger, if you will, I, and I don't know if it's yeah. quite the same thing, but only when it's disconnected and in a warmer location.
3: Well, if you're not going to be using the RV for a while, uh, you, you you know you just probably need to disconnect it. If you're in decent weather, if it's yeah. going to be colder, you really want to get that thing pulled off and taken out of the the direct cold, like those polar vortex things that we've had. Yeah, i heard you about to, those. You, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure everybody has. Uh, they're actually really still affecting the RV industry today from a park shortage standpoint, but that's an entirely different story <laughs> for an entirely different day. Um, no, if it's going to be cold, you want to get that battery off there because the, the cold just really wreaks havoc on batteries. And if it gets really cold, if that cell bursts, the battery is done.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I, 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 I'm I going to surprise you the, with this one because, you know, in our dress rehearsal, we just covered the stuff that we, we talked about now. But um, I used to play a lot of jazz. So let's improvise here on the one pressing problem I face very soon. How, is, there a, is there a reliable way to really know how much pro, propane is in our tanks?
3: There's a couple little things you can do. The short answer is yes, but not by default, by just looking at it, because they don't have a meter. Yeah. Um, very inexpensive. You can get them off Amazon, probably go to any RV parts store. There's little um, gauges that you mm-hmm. can just, you know, you can unhook it from the camper, hook it onto the tank, and it'll give you a pressure readout. There you go. Um, there's also these, like, uh, tape things. Yeah. So, like, yeah. you, can, you can tape up the side of it, and it will roughly read the visual level of the tank. And another thing you can do, if it's kind of cool in the morning or something like that, is just look at the condensation on the tank, and you're going to very clearly see a condensation line kind of indicating where you do still have liquid propane versus empty air inside that bottle.
0: I've always been told you could pour warm water and get the same general effect. that'll
3: work too that's another yeah. yeah there's a couple little homegrown things right. people go camping long enough they get creative and they figure stuff out
0: yeah well that's why i'm asking you instead i'd rather not learn the hard way and so far so good um that's a knock on wood once again here josh the rv nerd learn more about what he's doing and what they're doing at It rv on the youtube channel there or it auto and rv.com josh Pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for enlightening me again, and thanks for being a part of the RV Travel Podcast.
3: Well, oh, hey, Scott, thank you very much. We'll see you around the campfire, buddy.
0: And that we will, Josh. But in the meanwhile, uh promised you some opinions from you. Some of the followers over there at the rvtravel.com Facebook page, RV advice. If you want to learn more about all of the Facebook pages, just go to rvtravel.com, Click on resources in the upper left-hand corner of that page is all, you know, a link to all the RV, uh, travel.com Facebook pages, something for everybody there. I love RV advice. And I asked a little while ago, if I could, I, I said to all of them, if I could do it all over again, I'd buy what kind of rv instead of the one i own and the answers were fascinating sylvia steiger says i have exactly what i want not too hard not too soft just right i love motorhome traveling she says and to be able to access her rv without getting out of her vehicle and i don't blame her that's a great move and it's absolutely true heidi love anderson had a Rockwood Geo Pro, loved it, first camper. First issue, single axle. So if you're shopping, maybe that's something to remember. Caught some wind, wasn't pretty, and it was in the place where I had my problems too, Wyoming. So they they got wow, they got the big the big dogs now, a Freightliner Airstream Interstate. That's one way to tow a trailer. Ron Moore says the A-liner that I showed him in my picture simple as it comes all the upgrades make it a quick getaway camper absolutely ron loved mine it's now um serving one of my veterinarians very well steve kite says i'd buy a boat there's still room on the water he's referring to all of the headaches with trying to find a campsite these days but uh um you know that's a problem we're going to we're going to have to deal with for a while. So let's just get over that one. Okay, Steve, and I'll see you down the road as well. All sorts of great advice there. Um, The thing I like most about RV advice on the Facebook page is very positive. So if you're looking for help, uh, you're going to find a welcoming, inclusive environment. Ask the dumb questions I do. And so far, so good. And with that, I will thank you all for listening to the RV Travel Podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe. We're always working on more places to get it. Google Podcasts is a good place. Podbean is another one. Working on all the rest of them. Please do visit the website, rvtravel.com. Take the polls. Call me to share your own stories, 541-382-1726. Please tell your friends. Rate us and review us wherever you get your podcasts. I'll leave you with this. I'll call it wisdom, but it was on a bumper sticker for what it's worth. God gave us shin bones so we could find trailer hitches in the dark. Thanks again for listening. My name is Scott Linden. I'll see you down the road.